something to say. Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of Project Shadow. My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. And I have a weird topic to talk to you about today. It's not really like weird weird because I know every now and then I get weird weird but it's something that I've been thinking about quite a bit and I wanted to bring it to the community to see what you all thought about it. And as you probably know I don't know why like belabor these intros because I title the episodes and I assume many of you actually read the title before you hit play but the question is have classic and favorite shows or books become a new genre and I think this is also kind of becoming a thing with music as well so what is genre it is a chimera. It is a questing beast that once you try to find out what it means, you will forever be lost to all of us. Well, not really, but <clears throat> it does kind of feel that way. In all technicality, when we talk about genre, genre is either prose, poetry, or nonfiction. We can break it up into further genres and talk about lyrical poetry, epic poetry, and blah, blah, blah. The use of the term genre, as I'm using it, is a bit more recent of a phenomenon, and it's where we talk about the difference between literary and genre fiction. Literary fiction is defined by me as tales about stuff that really doesn't matter, that belabors the point so long it doesn't make sense anymore, until it wins back around to something that hopefully in the end will be a profound revelation of the human experience. Yeah, that's just me being bitter. It, I am not a fan of what normally gets classified as literary, because it's such an arbitrary designation that it really only has meaning in the eyes and hands of people who generally use it as a cudgel against those of us who primarily work in genre fiction. And those genres are many and plentiful. The biggest ones that you're probably familiar with are romance, suspense, horror, science fiction, fantasy, all of which have multiple subgenres, such as dark fantasy or epic fantasy or space opera, galactic empire, planetary romance, what have you. And these genres exist as a way of kind of breaking stories into classifiable groups so that, one, it, it makes it easier to talk about them at an academic level. Though, let's be honest, genre is rarely ever used for that, though it can be. The primary use of genre is marketing. Once you have realized that you are a fan of a specific genre or subgenre, then you seek out that genre or subgenre and find yourself 
more books that are of that type. See the rise of supernatural romance, for example. Certain books of a certain type have always sold well. See the Anne Rice vampire books. So we then have the phenomenon take root with notable successes of works like Twilight. And thus Twilight spawns an entire subgenre of I love you, but you are a dangerous supernatural creature that could end up killing me. That's okay. I love you. And I know I can never be with you because I'm a dark supernatural creature that could end up killing you. But my love will endure forever. Yeah. But a new genre is born. Or was it? See, in my experience, especially here lately, one of the things that I keep hearing a lot is fill-in-the-blank X show, book, band is the new fill-in-the-blank show, book, band. And you hear this a lot. Greta Van Fleet is the new Led Zeppelin, for example. Think about the plethora of content that came out. Is the Dragon Prince the new Avatar, the last airbender? And all of the pieces that have been done since as to whether yes it is, or no it's not, or maybe it could be. And I've even kind of fallen into that in some respects. It's a problem that we've discussed in several episodes, but it's a phenomenon that I really think deserves more investigation. Because what exactly are we looking for when we say this is the new that? Because there's a different version, kind of a corollary to the statement that I hear a lot. I'm looking for something to fill the fill-in-the-blank show, book, band, void that's been left in me since whatever it was was canceled or broke up or finished. Think about the endless quest for more Harry Potter after the seventh Harry Potter book came out. And the problem that a lot of fans are having are having with the Wizarding World movies in that they are not new Harry Potter stories. They're merely new stories taking place in the Wizarding World. And we can debate all day whether or not that was a smart decision on either J.K. Rowling or Warner Brothers' part to do it that way. But that's not the point. She wanted to go on and write new stuff and not keep revisiting the same old, same old. And I can understand that as a writer. But what the fans wanted was more Harry Potter. And you can see this from shows like um, The Littlest Witch. And yeah... Lots of anime that's come out that is basically, let's just do magic school, because magic school equals Harry Potter. There have been numerous children's shows and animes that have done that. But magic school isn't Harry Potter. You see, the thing that is Harry Potter is the whimsy and the magic that Rowling brought to the world. Everything was spectacular, because the world that Harry came from was dark and somber and cold, 
And so he found endless fascination in everything in the wizarding world, even down to the sweaters. Think how excited he was in that first book when he got presents for Christmas. Because that's something that never happened before. Dudley got the presents. He didn't. So everything seemed magical and full of whimsy, whether it actually was or not. And this is the power that the Harry Potter books had that others have been trying to fill either via their own writing or by seeking out other content that might be able to fill that gap. I myself have many of these voids in my life, favorite shows that I got used to watching and wish I had something to fill that slot, something like it, not necessarily a continuation of the same show or a copy of it. Think about the years between Star Treks, when, if you, like me, are a huge Star Trek fan, yeah, I continued watching the original series, I watched other in-space things that didn't quite fill that void. Battlestar Galactica wasn't the new Star Trek, it was an interesting show in its own right, but it didn't fill that Star Trek vacuum that I had inside me. Neither did Stargate Universe or any of the other shows that came out in the interim. And then, of course, the great debate over whether or not the Orville or Star Trek Discovery does. And that's an interesting story that I've talked about elsewhere and probably will continue to talk about as long as people are talking about it, because it's a topic I find fascinating. But what I think we actually see happening here is kind of a collectivization of the process of genre, in that we all came to like something. And because we liked that thing, we wanted more of it. For example, do you think the genre of space western would be as prominent as it is today if it wasn't for Firefly? And if Firefly hadn't been cancelled in such an unsatisfactory way, and we weren't given a movie like Serenity to hurry up and wrap it all up? No, we all wanted more Firefly. And since we weren't getting it, an entire literary genre that, yes, predated Firefly, but didn't have the avid readership, that it does until Firefly happened. It all came about because there was a popular space western that we all kind of fell in love with and didn't get enough of it and wanted more. So is Avatar The Last Airbender a genre now? I mean, you can clearly see a lot of shows that are kind of vying for that. Like, I would even put Steven Universe in this camp that... It's kind of vying for that. It's got that goofy humor that can, at times, be very serious and self-critical. It can look at a deep issue and really make you think, or do something completely different. It has a very deep lore that you can spend hours debating with your friends about. Did it fill the void in my calendar left by Avatar the Left Last Airbender? No, but it kind of created a new one. That it doesn't even fill because the episodes just don't come out fast enough. I'm sorry, Rebecca. I'm not pushing. I'm just saying. I, I need more. All the time. More. But that's what it is. And so here we are, in this new age, in this new world, where these phenomena are popping up out of nowhere. 
And you can see it happening all the time. Think about the popularity of the Hunger Games, and how quickly a genre coalesced around it. Let's take a group of teenagers, put them in an impossible competition in a future society who is doing this for reasons, usually because some corrupt government is trying to do something, because, well, that's what's happening in the Hunger Games, and tell a story there. And we don't have to go very far to even think of those, because they got movies. We've got the Maze Runners and the Allegiance and, yeah, all that. But is that not how a genre comes about? And are we seeing them happen quicker? See, with all of the debates that have been happening lately over canon this and canon that and genre this and genre that, I'm almost wondering if we're post-genre. And I don't mean that in the way that a lot of other people do. Yeah, genre has kind of lost a lot of its meaning. Writers, for a very long time, including myself, have taken great pains to do cross-genre fiction, where we take two or more genres that we rather enjoy and think would be fun juxtaposed to each other, and do that so we can find more creative, inventive stories. That's been a process that's been going on for quite some time. See Space Western, or Alien Police Procedural. There's been quite a few of those. But in this new discovery of cross-genre fiction, it has created some gaps that have, in their own way, created new genres for people to write in, create in, and seek after. But are they really genres? And I keep coming back to that because I'm not entirely sure that they are. Why do I say that? Because when you actually look at what a genre is, it's a fairly succinct method of boiling down a story. So, on the one hand, being able to say what a space opera is in a very short version. So, for example, a space opera is a story that takes place in outer space, generally in more than one setting, though not always, where the pre predominance of the story is based on action and adventure rather than literary science. That's helpful in some ways, in finding other fiction of that type that you like. I think this new thing that's happening has more to do with our obsession with high concept than it does with genre. So what is high concept? If you ask 20 people, you get 20 different answers. The biggest and simplest way of saying this is the initial pitch for um, Alien, for example, was Jaws in space. And when you look at the movie, that's pretty much what it is. The xenomorph is the shark, the Nostromo is the beach, and the people are getting picked off one by one by the alien until our new version of Brody, who is in this case Ripley, ends up killing the beast. Okay, Jaws in space. High concept was initially used as a way of kind of shorthanding what a story would be. 
I do this sometimes with my own fiction, just because it makes it easier to explain to people what it is that I'm doing, especially when it's, it's a much more complicated thing. So, for example, when working on the current sci-fi story that I'm working on, in a Twitter thread, I described it as um, hidden, what was it? Um, crouching Mecha Hidden Starship. And that's kind of what I'm going for, because you get the idea there, right? It's going to be kind of like Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon or that kind of wuxia story, but it's going to be set in space, probably with mechs and starships, and it's going to be that kind of a thing. It's a shorthand that doesn't get everything exactly where it needs to be. But this shorthand has become ubiquitous within Hollywood and various other industries, and there is a desire for high-concept stories where you can very simply say that it's this thing. Because, I mean, think about it. Twilight is basically Dracula if Lucy hadn't been raped and there's no Van Helsing. That's it. I mean, that's Twilight. That really changes your perception of it after I say that, I bet, because I've had conversations with others when I said that, and they went, oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what Twilight is. Now, you add some other stuff to it that, you know, the vampires sparkle and when they're in sunlight instead of being killed, and they don't have to sleep in the dirt, and it takes place in a high school in Oregon, and... But all of that set dressing that's kind of that is secondary to the actual story itself. That's high concept. That's one version of high concept. There are others, but that's kind of the simplest. No, I don't think that's what's going on either. I don't think it's either genre or high concepting. Though both of those are involved. When I say that I have had a charmed shape vacuum in my life since that show was canceled, and I have, that was one of my favorite guilty pleasure shows that I enjoyed watching. It's not so much that I wanted another story about three witch sisters who were having adventures against magical creatures all the time. It's not wrong that I wanted that, but that's not exactly what I mean when I say that. What I mean when I say that is I miss the family elements and the high drama, the soap opera-ness that Charmed had, as well as the supernatural stakes that were layered upon it. Some of my favorite seasons of those shows were Phoebe and her magical husband, boyfriend thing, and all of the problems that that brought about. I really like that drama. So... I remember after watching the first season of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, where I was talking to my husband, and I think I actually flat out said that Sabrina is the new Charmed, except for it flips everything on its head. See, she's the danger now. And her friends are on the outside. But it actually scratched that itch in a way that I haven't had it scratched in a while. The same thing with The Order, which I'm probably going to be talking about on tomorrow's episode, that in a lot of ways kind of hit that that empty space that's been inside me since, you know, <sighs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer killed the Terra. 
because I really liked that show. It was goofy, it was comedic, it had really fun use of horror elements and tropes, and I really liked it. And The Order does weird things, and we'll talk about that in much more detail on a future episode. Again, probably tomorrow. But I find myself using those terms, and it's not just as simple as that. See, I I don't think genres would exist if it wasn't for this phenomenon. If J.R.R. Tolkien hadn't written The Lord of the Rings and taught an entire generation that they wanted stories with wizards and dragons and magic and medieval-style worlds, we wouldn't have gotten the fantasy genre. The entire purpose and point of the fantasy genre in its initial beginning was, it's The Lord of the Rings, but... So, for example, the Sword of Shannara, which Terry Brooks thought he had written an original story until later when his he realized that he'd basically written The Lord of the Rings backwards. And he did. But it's a good book. It was a lot of fun. And it was something that people were looking for. The same with the works of David Eddings and the others who came along and wrote and created that genre. People wanted more Tolkien, and that's what they got for a very long time, until people started innovating and changing the form. Because that's how art works. The interesting thing with today's media landscape is because we are getting so much content so quickly, we have a couple different problems emerging. One, it's very easy to just binge through something and not remember a single thing about what you were watching. I don't think that binging is inherently bad, but I do think that it can blur together a lot of information in your head and make it harder for you to parse it out and get a deeper appreciation for the story that you're paying attention to. I find this true with Stranger Things, for example. Love Stranger Things. Watched both seasons so far when they came out, just really quickly, all the way through. I have a hard time still naming all the kids. Just because I, I have a problem with that. I watched it very quickly, and I haven't gone back and rewatched that show. And I'm not saying that I'm not going to, it's just I haven't done it. Sabrina, on the other hand, binged through it and then went back through and did a slower rewatch of it because I rather enjoyed it and I wanted to get more into the minutia of the story and the setting and everything that was going on and I wanted to pay more attention to each episode and how they all fit together. These are the things that are necessary for us to see structure. And structure to me is the underlying problem here that we're all seeking. See, the reason there's a debate over whether or not the direct successor to Star Trek is the Orville or Discovery is honestly, how much did you keep up with Star Trek? And I don't mean that as a slight, and I'm not saying that if you have watched all of Star Trek and don't like Discovery that you're wrong. I'm not saying that at all, but Discovery is kind of the natural show that you would get after Enterprise and, of course, the J.J. Abrams movies. It is the inheritor of the legacy that both of those series left behind. Uh, 
whether that's a good thing or not, we can have profound discussions on because I think there's both good and bad in that. But it does fit right in there, for better or worse. The Orville, on the other hand, feels a lot more like the original series, something that took place in the 60s. It's got a lot more humor. It's got a lot more color. It does take some cues from the next generation, but once you get beyond that, it doesn't quite feel like a Star Trek show if you start comparing it to shows like Deep Space Nine, Voyager, or or, uh, Enterprise. It starts feeling rather outside that frame, because most of those shows kind of lost their humor. And that's kind of when a lot of that went out of Star Trek. TNG still had some episodes that are just flat-out funny, like most episodes with Luxana Troy, though not all of them. Some of them are very intense. Some of the episodes of Deep Space Nine went the Nagus, but once it gets really into the Dominion War, even a lot of that goes away. So, what we're actually talking about here is neither genre nor high concept, really. It's an affect left on us by a certain type of media and how it made us contemplate it. So what, what in the world does that mean? Okay, let me see if I can simplify this. When someone like me, because I can only speak for myself, says that I've had a void in my calendar since Avatar The Last Airbender went away, I'm not necessarily saying that I want a show just like it. What I am saying, though, is Avatar showed me that, one, fantasy stories could draw from various sources and do things that are rather unique and grounded. That made the world work in a very logical and consistent way. And I want my fantasy to do that, but at the same time, I don't want my fantasy to be ordinary, which is the mistake that a lot of fantasy fiction makes nowadays. That's a hard road to walk. I want that whimsy, I want that excitement, I want that exoticness that comes from having magic free and floating in the world. But at the same time, I want it to have a rigid structure. I want it to make sense to me. I want to be able to start making predictions about what might happen, magically speaking, because I understand the rules of magic as well as the characters in the setting, and you're not hiding anything from me. See, by the time the by the time Aang and the Fire Lord actually fight in Avatar The Last Airbender, all the pieces are there. Everything that you need to know about bending and how the magic works in the setting is there so that you could have seen how Aang, with his personality and fighting style and personal feelings about how conflicts should be resolved, would have resolved that conflict. And that's something that is fairly unique in f- genre fiction, especially in fantasy fiction. Because, well, magic is usually very complicated. And the stories are fairly complicated, and eh, lots of other stuff's happening. But because this story allowed for the simplicity that it all comes down to two duels in the end, and a large-scale fight, but 
two major duels, the one between Aang and the Fire Lord, and the other between Zuko and Azula, I could predict and see how those were going to play out within the rules of the world. And that's what I want more of. I want a world that I can get as invested in the characters and love them as much as I do. Sokka, Katara, Aang, and all the rest. And I want a world that I can theorize about and really think about and that feels lived in. All of which I got with Avatar. And something that's very hard to replicate. So what am I actually looking for? What are any of us looking for? And this is the part where some people, I'm sure, feel like I'm just cheating, but I don't think that there's an answer here. I don't think that there's a right answer here. Yes, it's possible to say that Avatar The Last Airbender has created a new genre, but no, not really. I haven't seen a lot of people really take this analogy between martial arts and fantasy magic and run with it. The basic elements have not really been replicated in anything else when you think about it in terms of genre. And the same thing is true when you talk about high concept. The Dragon Prince is not Avatar The Last Airbender, but this time with dragons. No, that really doesn't work. The characters are different. The dynamics between them is so different. The nature of magic in the worlds is very different as well. So, it's not really a high concept. It's not really a thing. A genre thing. What's actually going on in all of this is, is we found something in these worlds and in these settings that we want to have replicated. We're now seeking something even harder than the creation of a new genre or the perpetuation of a high concept idea. We're looking for someone to replicate the sensations we had while we took in the media that we love. We're trapped in our nostalgia and we're expecting our fiction to make us whole again. Mm. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, on a future episode. We've kind of talked about it a little bit on past episodes, but we'll see where this goes. If you enjoyed this episode and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this episode or this podcast, please do so. That tells the algorithm to share me with more people. That helps out a lot. If you've got a dollar, you can pass my way. Down in the show notes, you'll see a link that says Anchor Community Support. If you click that, you can join the project at the $1, $5, or $10 levels. That helps out a lot. <laughs> that really helps me know how much money I'm going to have to be able to do things for the show, as well as help pay my bills. So thank you to everybody who does that. If you don't have any money right now, or you just don't feel like giving, that's fine. But if you think you know anybody who would like these shows, please share it with them. That helps out a lot, too. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear discussed on the show, you can either hit me up on Twitter, I'm C.E. Dorset over there, or you can go to anchor.fm, download the Anchor app, follow Project Shadow, and then click the voice message button. You can leave up to a one-minute message, keep it clean so I can use it on the show, and this can become more of our podcast. I would love this to be more of a community effort 
and that would be a lot of fun. So please think about doing that. If you want links to anything else I do, such as any of my other social media accounts or other projects that I'm currently working on, head over to projectshadow.com. You can find links to everything right there. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was fun to think about. Until next time, don't forget, have the fun. Bye.